Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. All right, we're not giving you a lot of fun stuff to start off with here, hon. Sorry about that. I'll, I'll figure it out. the Hoop Collective. I'm Cassidy Hilbert and NYC. Chene Agumake, are you in the cut? I think this I'm, is like, I've always have to start this up. Asking <laughs> you if you're in the cut. Yeah, I'm definitely holding it down in the cut. Uh, was that a ding? What was happening there? That was my phone. I'm sorry, friends. Oh, CC, now it's you. So it's usually <laughs> me. I'm, I'm putting my email off so we don't have that uh, noise. And Momo, out in LA, in the valley. Away. Up in the hills. I'm up in the hills. Oh, my bad. Very Sorry. Fast. Misrepresentation. Misrepresentation. It is the valley, but like, it sounds so much cooler if you say the hills. So. Oh, up in the hills. I don't know about that, but I will do whatever sounds cooler. All I think um, is the hills have eyes. Is that what they say? Is no, that what they say, movie. Momo? It's a, oh. it's a scary movie. You haven't heard of it? I think um, that's just like, I think that I don't watch scary movies, but I think we, we, we ready there are definitely eyes up in the hills here in, in the San Fernando Valley, because there are certain types of films that are made here. Um, but um, I, yeah, we don't talk about those on a, on Disney stations. Right. I believe uh, <laughs> in the San Fernando Valley, it's called The, the Hills Have Thighs. The Hills Have Thighs. <laughs> <laughs> that you know what? Contribution ever, Han. I, you know what, you guys? I just laughed there. I didn't get the joke, though. Um, maybe it's like, you know, Cali, you know, Hillside. Cassidy. Like, it's the San Tornando Valley. Like, have y'all you, you not oh, heard of this? Did you say Pornando? Like, porn? Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, see? Now, now I get it. I'm sorry. I feel like that was that moment, you know, like you're in a group of people and a joke said and you're just like a half step slow. Usually you just let it go. But I felt, you know, serious FOMO there and I wanted it to be explained to me. So I'm glad I did for all this. I don't listeners. think my neighbors do it, but I think that some neighbors probably, you know, engage. Okay. Now I'm up to speed. Hence the reputation. Now I'm up to speed and I feel better. Um, there you go. About all of it. Uh, you guys want to jump into, you know, one of the more serious topics in the NBA? It's a good uh, transition here. Segue. <laughs> Derek Rose. This is this story is um, captivating for many reasons. Uh, Dave McMenamin and. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting over the weekend that uh, Rose is deliberating whether he wants to work towards returning from a sprained ankle uh, to rejoin the Cavs or really contemplating if he even wants to continue his NBA career. So, um, you know, according to one person close to the team, uh, he's the mental toll of having to come back from injuries is just um, kind of weighing on him. Um, And, you know, just one little note, personally, I I spoke with him at the beginning of the year um, before that game that he actually got hurt in that Bucks game from 
um, the first week where he suffered that um, ankle injury. And he he was talking to me about how, you know, for the last couple of years, he was in this dark place and it was carrying over to how he was um, playing the game. Like he was playing revenge basketball, he said. He was, he was coming out of the gate just trying to score, not getting the flow of his game because he wanted so badly to prove to people that, you know, he wasn't this just washed up injured player. And he said that this was something that, you know, was on his mind. I go, well, are you over that yet? And he goes, well, I, you know, I still want to prove to people I'm not this guy who's just getting injured all the time. So even though he said, you know, he, he was talking about how much he was looking forward to being on this Cavs team because it was so easy to play with LeBron. But he, in the same breath, was still admitting he, he was dealing with these, this, this mental um, challenge of, of getting over of people just looking at him that he's, you know, damaged goods. So um, a lot of Cavs players have come out in support of, of Derrick Rose saying they just want him to, to, get, to get better and to um, do what, you know, is best for him. But, you know, Cheney, like you dealt with some injuries, uh, you know, this past year where you had to sit out. Obviously, not to the extent that Derek has, but you know, what, what's your take on just this struggle that he's going through right now? I totally empathize, um, and I also had an opportunity to chat with D Rose this summer. Actually, you were just bringing up memories uh, when I was in Vegas with Adidas at Level Three. You know that like high school basketball huge tournament that they have out in Vegas, and um, he was, you know, he. I think when you get injured, you automatically are constantly questioning yourself, right? And um, I had microfracture, I had Achilles, those are two big injuries, but um, he's had some serious injuries that have been persistent. And I remember when I was at level three in Adidas, he was in a good place, you know? Um, he kicked my butt in ping pong, like real quick. <laughs> he's like a savant at ping pong. Um, but we both were talking and we we're bonding over being on this combat struggle, struggle bus, you know? And um, I had those two injuries. He had four knee surgeries, he said, in like eight years or so, nine years. And we both were just talking about how we're hyped to have another opportunity, right? To use this summer to get better and to prove to people that we still got it. And so this summer, he was he was talking about, like, you know, I'm working, you know, we're on this grind. You know how athletes talk. Oh, yeah, you're on the ground, like, you're on the ground. What you doing? What you doing? What you eating? Like, how you training? And um, one thing he also talked about that actually touched me was that, you know, a lot of times people are so caught up, you know how they call it, they're in the lab. You know, we're trying to get better. We're trying to be the best. This is where we improve. But also, summertime is family time. And he was really enjoying this time being a human being because he could get like to wake up in the same house without traveling for a week for without traveling for two weeks. And you just get into that rhythm where you're a human being. So when an athlete is basically stepping away, I feel like it's because they feel like they have to in order to feel like they're they're a sane human being. Because oftentimes we look at athletes and their heights and their achievements and we try to say, oh, you know, he's not, he's like trying to get back to the mountaintop. He he wants to prove people wrong. That takes a huge as I think um, Woj called it like a mental toll when he when he listened. It takes a huge mental toll on you. And every day when I wake up, every step I take, you know, I'm thinking about my injury and how I'm going to get better and how I'm going to, you know, prove to people wrong. And, and he's had that times a million being in the NBA. And um, it's interesting. I was looking 
People were saying, oh, well, you know, how is he going to leave his $80 million Adidas contract on the table? Or how is he going to leave the opportunity to play with LeBron James on the table? Or his legacy, you know, because he, he sort of saw the mountaintop really quick. He was MVP in 2011. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it sort of came spiraling down. But last season, he had a great body of work, you know? So I think there was a lot of hope and optimism, especially coming with the Cavs and playing with the best player on the planet. But at the end of the day, I think one thing I realized, harkening back to that time I was talking to the Summer League, is there's nothing that you can do to take away a person's peace of mind right so it doesn't matter if it's 80 million dollars it doesn't matter if it's an opportunity to compete with lebron james to win a championship to do all that to have this legacy sometimes peace of mind is is priceless you know and that's why i feel like a lot of times athletes get stigmatized for the injuries but um you know it the science is good and it gives people opportunities to come back and come back and come back but sometimes the injury is not just physical you know it's mental and and once you get to a certain point it's it's tough so i hate it when people put too much pressure on him because this dude has really just hopped back on the court left right and center acl meniscus issues you know surgeries and surgeries and he's tried and he's come back and he's trying to come back like sometimes we just got to give these people a chance to breathe and to and to you know find that passion that love for the game if they want to be committed to come back so it's tough to watch but at the same time i'm happy because clearly it shows that he has people in his corner that are telling you hey you don't have to do this you know you are derrick rose human being before derrick rose former mvp you know um so i i i see a lot of res- like i i've definitely given a lot of respect for him to like separate himself and also still make him like not really do it with that like the way it went down in the knicks where he just didn't show up like he's communicating which is a good sign and then there are a lot of guys putting out fillers saying like we're here for you so you know best of luck to him but it's a tough situation yeah, and we still have no idea what happened last year with with the Knicks. We knew it was a person he left for a personal reason. He need to, you know, he's clearly you know, mm-hmm. having uh, struggles mentally, dealing with just a lot outside of basketball. No, I mean, so much of this, you guys, is is you have to know his story and everything Derrick Rose has been for his entire life and career. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can know. No, we none of us can ever know what it's like to walk in his shoes, right? But to be the kid from Chicago who then gets drafted by the Bulls, like your hometown team, to become like the next Jordan, right? I mean, it was like that was the level of pressure that was on him, right? He becomes this like uh, one of the youngest MVPs, right? And and you have the Bulls in the playoffs. They're competing year after year against the Cavs to go to the NBA Finals. There was this sense that like he was this sort of savior messiah type for the Bulls who had been – you know, who had been looking for another guy like that since Jordan. And he carried that not just not just like, you know, one year, two years, but like his entire life, right? Like at the hopes and dreams of a city. And so I think that, you know, like I, I remember going there towards the end of his run in Chicago and doing a story with the Bulls because you kind of you kind of had this sense it was all going to break up, right? It was it was this, this was the last year of of the the Tibbs era Bulls with Joe Kim and and Derek and uh, and Taj and and the, you know that group that they had put together and you had that sense and you know Derek was still coming back from injury and like the times when there was always a stat like okay if Derek had two days of rest he was the old Derek and if he had one day of rest in between games he just he he didn't really have it and you could feel how fragile his body was um because like the days where he was the old Derek it was like they could be the old bulls they had a chance to 
they had a chance to win. And like, you could, you could just feel everybody like, come on, kid, come on, man. Like we need you to be, you know, to have this like superhuman effort. And you guys like Pau Gasol who had joined that team, just, you know, feeling, you know, that, that promise that, that he had, I mean, I don't know if people know what it's like to walk around like that, but like where like your every move is, is, is not just scrutinized, but like so many people are counting on you. Okay. So then you go from that to going to a city where you don't have a support system. You don't have, I mean, you're, I, I don't think all of his family moved out there. Right. So he'd never, you know, when he was in Memphis, when he went to, you know, when he went to Memphis for one year, his brothers moved out there. I think his dad moved, I mean, sorry, his mom moved out there and he had people around him every single day supporting him. He goes to New York. It's a different story. Like he had some support there, but not like he didn't. Chicago. Well, on top of the fact that, you know, his yeah. civil rape trial basically uh, mm-hmm. didn't kicks allow him to year. kicks off that year. He didn't do training camp. And on top of that, that trial took a mental toll on him as well because of yeah. the details of his personal life that came out. Um, That's right. And then I think, you know, last year I, you know, I, I, looked into that a lot last year because it was obviously a very jarring story when a player yeah. goes AWOL, right? And I remember a lot of the stuff that, that I had heard sort of anecdotally and things that were going around in and around him was, you know, he really, he had, a, he had a son and he really wanted to be around him. And I think there was, there was something going on with his mom as well. Like he, he wanted, to, you know, and he wanted to go see her in person. And I mean, this is like, this is all just, emotional support system, right? Things about your life that matter. Like he talks a lot about wanting to be there for his son. And there was a quote somewhere along the way about, you know, I worry about the toll these injuries have taken on me and what it's going to do in my future. I mean, it kind of, you know, you hear, you hear certain athletes like Barry Sanders used to say things like that. Um, Calvin Johnson in Detroit member in football, right? you know, you you hear athletes say things like that. And when they start talking like that in their twenties, um, Generally speaking, it's probably not going to be a long one, right? Like it's it's already in their it's already in their head, and if you can't be the guy who was you know the, who was the king of Chicago, if you can't be that guy, then you and you don't have the support around you that you've always had your whole life, right? Living in Chicago and playing in Chicago, it's kind of hard to know who you are, right? And especially when day in and day out is just frustration and feeling like you're letting people down. Right. And and this is not like a situation where Derrick Rose was a really good player with promise. Someone like Brandon Roy, who had so much promise and then injuries just took the toll on him. Derrick Rose was an MVP. And the way he played, like, was jaw-dropping. And his athletic ability was, was something that, you know... We're seeing a lot in, like, Russell Westbrook and uh, some other players, but how he played was so um, captivating that, you know, it's 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 very obvious um, when he's not 100%. You know, to compare how he played after the injuries, it's just he just wasn't the same player. And, and if I jump in here, what, what uh, Rose was doing at the time for the culture, as you mentioned, Ramona, you know, just being from Chicago to Chicago, um, he, he sort of did what Steph Curry is currently doing for Under Armour. He did that with Adidas. Hmm. Yep. So he was on this plane to really take over, not just the NBA, and also introduce this new crazy athletic, sort of pre-Russell Westbrook style of point guard, but he was also doing it off the court in a unique way. I remember when I just recently signed with Adidas in May, 
they were talking about how this dude, this guy, he, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, like, what's his role with the brand? He's like, he still is that dude. I mean, his shoe still sells. And that's just, you know, the, the leftovers for, from his success. But the problem is, like, this guy had a lot and he had it quickly and it got taken mm-hmm. away so fast. And, and, I, and like you mentioned, like, it just stinks because injuries, a lot of athletes get stigmatized. And I feel like a lot of the pressure was also by the population. I mean, you can talk about D Rose and people talk about his injuries instead of him playing 60 some games and, and actually looking good last year. Right. Um, so, you know, that was just my little thing. I, I thought he was huge for the culture, not just for the game. And Ramona, you pointed out he maybe didn't have that support system with him in New York and the transition to New York. But mm-hmm. some may argue that that support system yeah, and all of those people around him that he grew up with, you know, may have affected how he developed in Chicago after the after the um, the injuries. Now, no one really knows, but uh, there was a lot of criticism for his brother speaking out for him against, you know, um, uh, just saying things in the media about his contract. And and there was just there was just a lot, a lot of chatter, really not from D Rose. And then when Derek started talking, people would would get confused what his actual uh, commitment to to the Bulls was. So there was just the, after after the injury, I think there was just a lot of noise. And I think he got caught up in it because being in Chicago, being the hometown kid, as you said. And now here he is, uh, you know, two years removed from that kind of you know, falling out with 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 the Bulls and what, what, what I guess he's just evaluating, like, is it all worth it now? Um, and, you know, as far as with the Cavs, like, not, you know, they're still waiting on Isaiah to come back. And but yet they're they have no point guard and they're winning <laughs> because of LeBron James. So, um, yeah. it, like, it's again, you know, LeBron is just carrying this Cavs team. And it, like I what else can you say about him? I mean, LeBron, he's MVP, if not for James Harden, right? I, yeah. Or you, I mean, some people are saying Kyrie as of right now, but what are we, a month in? But yes, this is what we do. <laughs> no, I would say LeBron definitely. I mean, I like James just because, you know, his team is winning. But, um, you know, segueing with LeBron, I mean, we're talking about, you know, interesting seasons. Uh, he was MVP, what, in like, was that like 09, 08? And his team had no help. And he won MVP. And a lot of times people want to say, oh, he has help now. He shouldn't win MVP. I think that argument, I don't like that argument just because the nature of the game has changed. I mean, those 8 seasons when LeBron won, uh, that was back when, what was it? who was like dominant? The Celtics, the Spurs were dominant. That was like almost, I hate to say it, old school ball. Now we're in this new positionless oh. era. I know. Okay. But it's like old school ball. Think about it, though. It's old you had to you, okay? <laughs> it's not that long ago. It's not wow. that long ago. But think about how far the game has changed yeah. then and now. And now we're into this Warriors small ball, positionless basketball. And now, like, I can't name... I mean, I can't name another a, a team in the NBA that is a contending, that is competing, that only has one star player. Maybe Giannis and uh, the Bucks, right? But there's so many people on so many rosters now to compete. Just because LeBron has a little help doesn't mean he can't be MVP. I mean, he's carrying this team. He, LeBron's always in the conversation for MVP. He's top two right now, but James Harden really has it just because 
they've been winning. He's been putting up numbers. And I, I really like, I think whoever gets statement wins and keeps winning will get the MVP between those two. But yeah, Braun is always MVP in my book. Uh, just to just to put a little bow on, on the Rose talk, I mean, it's not fair to compare people's um, journeys, but, you know, what's even just think about the, the, the pressure that LeBron James deals with on a, on a daily basis since he came, yep. came, came into this league. Um, and, you know, granted, he didn't hasn't dealt with the same type of struggles that Rose has with, when it comes to injuries. But it's just, you know, there are just some people who can can overcome certain mental obstacles. And that's something that LeBron James continues to do. Um, and we're, we're definitely seeing it this year, too. Yeah. You know, Cass, like like when you see it up close, right, like when you're in Cleveland or when you're in Chicago or especially during the heyday of it. You feel that so acutely. Like, I mean, it's like there's the there's this like when you, when you cover the Bulls back in those days, like there was just the media would follow him. And it was like, is Derek talking today? It was Derek, it was like it was like he's the mm-hmm. only one anyone ever wanted to talk to, even though there were fantastic guys to speak to in that locker room. Like he was the story every single day. And I think. When, when we talk about support system, I don't just mean like he had his brothers around or he had his mom or he had, you know, it, it, it's it's there's something in the city where like he literally like carried the hopes and dreams of a city. Right. Like, I, I don't know if you can feel that unless you're there to feel it. like he walked by that statue of Jordan out front. Like, you know, it was it was told to him, like, you got to go be that. And like. You know, now that not only can, did he not win with the Bulls, right? So you don't have that, you don't have that chip to to sort of, you know, stand on. Like, you know, D Wade can go through injuries and he can have a, a tough a tough run, but like he has three championships, so like nobody can ever say anything. Can't talk. Like, so he didn't win, and then he goes to New York. He's not able to be who he is because he doesn't have the same athleticism, and you have that frustrating return from injury. You have everything the civil trial. You go to you get to the summer and, you know, remember even last year he's talking about wanting a max contract. So you don't get a max contract. You get a one year minimum deal. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, at least Cleveland wanted him. Right. At least somebody like LeBron James wanted him and saw value in him. And there was a role there for him. But but to go from that to being like, you know, you're you're what are you playing for? Who are you playing for? How are you playing? What is this all about? I mean, I can't even imagine what's going through the kid's head. Right. And and it's nice that Cleveland I think handled you just it in the way they of, have. I think you kind of just nailed it. Like, I think that's what's going through his head. What am I playing yeah. for? Who am I playing for? Why am I doing this? Because it's not another knee injury. It's an ankle injury. I think right now, mm-hmm. like they're saying that he can come back in a couple of weeks. I, I mean, I, I think right now he's mentally more hurt than he is physically and so does he want to try to get himself back into the yeah into the mix and i think again? he will guys I, I do i think he's coming back i think he needs some time um and it's hard being there in a new city where you don't have people right like you're not like it's hard just i, I think i i do think he will he will make his way back but the question uh, it doesn't feel like this is going to be a long one Right. I don't I don't see this as five, six more years of this career. I see this as maybe like the last year or two, because it's if you're already thinking like this, you're already feeling like this. Uh, you you got to wonder, you know, how how deep that that well is. Yeah, I hope this is not an end, be, the end for him, because, I, you know, uh, 
it's not fair to have the conversation. He's never going to return to this MVP rose. Like, I think that conversation alone is part of the reason why he's struggling with so much, you know, um, personally. Um, But I hope that he can at least, you know, um, find some peace with himself in the game um, before leaving and not leave on, on, Mm -hmm. you know, such a a note like this where it feels like he's just like too hard to go on. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens with, with Rose for sure. As um, the Thunder are concerned, and, and uh, Russell Westbrook, um, he he's the engine. Okay, he's the he's the firecracker of that of that team, um, uh, and, and we saw that against the Warriors uh, on Wednesday. Um, I had a front row seat to that game. Let me let me let me ask you guys first how you viewed the feud <laughs> between uh, KD and and Russ throughout that game. Um, were you did you have your popcorn ready there, uh, today? What were you watching? <laughs> what didn't you see? Because I'll tell you what I saw after. I love the in your face, at your neck, in your mm-hmm. grill competitiveness like we should not float away we should not dissuade this type of competition from the NBA right and I really really like that the OKC like the OKC stepped up to the plate right but you know when you're when you're playing a lot of times people say stuff and you hurt people's feelings but we always chalk it up to, oh, you know, we're just competing. And that's exactly what I heard afterward. You know, we're just going to compete. But obviously there's some added motivation on, on one guy's end, you know, and then meanwhile there's denial on another guy's end. Regardless, that it's good for the game. Um, and I, I was really happy to see the, the, you know, the Thunder come out with the win. But overall, I mean, I think the big thing is, and I know we're going to probably segue to, you know, their struggles. <laughs> uh, but I think this is Westbrook's team. He showed it. Um, even when you had KD on the roster for how many years, it's, it was Westbrook's team then. It's, it's going to be Westbrook's team uh, moving on, especially as they try to figure out, you know, who should have the ball and how, they, how they're going to win. But overall, I think it was the bright spot for the Western Conference because it's funny to me. The East has definitely been more entertaining than the West. Now, that game was the first Western matchup that I was like, okay, this is cool. But the East has really been holding down the NBA. And I think entering the season, no one would have really predicted that the East would have had so many interesting, intriguing storylines. So I was glad to see the West take a win, even though they, they all, all they do is win when it comes to uh, big games. But it, it, to me, it just proved that this is, this is Westbrook's story. This is his narrative. This is his team. And um, it, it's really a rivalry, even though Kevin Durant may deny it. I was so happy for this game because it's finally all out there, right? Like, right. You know, the thing that happened with the, tw- you know, his fake Twitter account or whatever, right. his <laughs> the fake burn. Twitter account, a real Twitter account or whatever it is. Like, th- when I read it and I saw it and I was just like, good, you finally said what you thought. Like, you don't yes. have to pretend anymore. Like, I mean, maybe you meant to do it, maybe you didn't, maybe that was, you know, but like, 
he literally went on Twitter and said he didn't like the organization or playing for Billy Donovan. His roster wasn't that good. It was just him and Russ. And then followed it up by saying, imagine taking Russ off that team, see how bad they were. KD can't win a championship with those cats. Okay. And this I is mean, after he won the title. I mean, right. this all could have been squashed, but he he's the one who brought it all back up again with those That's two. Right. He's still feeling some type of way. <laughs> and so I remember last year, like, you know, I was there for that one game, the first game back, right? And it was so ugly. It was so charged in that city. I mean, there were literally, there were fans outside that stadium who brought live snakes to the game, live snakes. And they were like carrying them on their back. And they were like, you know, I was like, are, are you serious with this? Like, you really brought like reptiles to this game. Like, the, you know, <laughs> and, and like, you know, the cupcake thing and the, the hostility and all that. But like, Okay, I understand feeling spurned, but KD had to take the high road, right? Because he went and, jo- like, you know, he was Angelina Jolie in this, right? Like, yeah. he was, you know, Russ was Jennifer Aniston. He, you know, he got left, right? Like, yeah. so when you end up with Brad Pitt that and you go in. Oh, never mind. No, this is Brangelina. No, this is real life. This is real Hollywood Oh, yeah, I guess you know? I guess. So, like, if you are Angelina Jolie and you end up with Brad Pitt and you go win a championship and you got the team, right? And I think they won those games by, like, 30 points each, right? Like, you got to, like, be nice. You got to – you don't rub it in. You don't say, well, like, I left Well, it's 40 points in that game kind of rubbed it in. Right? (laughs) Like, you got to be, like, kind of chill and classy and you got to say all the right things. And, you know, maybe there can be a dig or two. But – when, but I, you know, if you're around that team, you're around the Warriors. I mean, there were reasons he left. I mean, and everybody was like tiptoeing around them, and they would say, "Oh, he left because he liked the Warrior, the Hamptons Five, right? He had a, he had his guys. He wanted to play the way they play." All true. Yes, that's the positive silver lining side of life. But the other side of it is that he didn't like playing with Russ. He didn't like that system. He thought there was something more that he could get out of basketball. And, like, that's that was true, too. And the things that he tweeted, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally, like, that was the real honest-to-goodness feeling. And right. so this was the first game back after he kind of, you know, let it slip, right? Like, they usually – like, however you feel is – somehow going to come out, whether it's like, you know, through a text message that you accidentally send through some shade that you throw, like this passive aggressive stuff, like however you feel, it usually comes out like you try to hide it, but you're going to slip. Right, so, exactly. That I see. You know what? I think Kyrie is yeah. in this moment right now. He's yep. trying to like cover it up. And every time mm-hmm. he tries to cover it up, I'm just like, man, just own it. It like, <laughs> No, you know, but it you, takes you won't time. be asked about this all it the time. It takes time, though. I know, think, but the, I always, about- I always go back, and this is a baseball reference. I'm sorry, Han. I always yeah. go back to like Andy Pettit. Okay, he's uh-huh. still beloved despite him, like despite you know t- t- doing steroids. He owned it, and people forgot about it the next day. But yet, people who deny it, deny it. Like, you know, A-Rod pre-J-Lo, which I'm still upset about, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Like, it's just, like, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. 
It is, but, you know, you think about it. These guys are young. These are kids. When they get to the league, they're 18, 19, 20, and it takes a while for them to feel comfortable. I mean, they have cities on their back. They have reputations. They have family members that that count on them. Um, and I don't blame KD for leaving OKC, right? I don't no. blame him for I don't blame him for making a decision, a business decision, without the consultation of others. Because if you think about it, like, in the NBA, it's a business. If you tell someone, if you reveal your cards, you give an opportunity to get got, right? I understand that. What I do sort of blame him for is you know after that happens because this happens in sports trades happen you sort of have this obligation to reach out even if the guy's gonna be mad at you or the woman's gonna be mad at you you have yes. that obligation to reach out and say hey right. yo i made a business decision all respect i love yes. you appreciate you and i don't know if that really happened so that's what i really was a little upset about but the good thing is like you mentioned he's sort of letting things slip now i like kd because he's not bottling things up i tend to blame draymond green for this because draymond doesn't mince words and maybe he's looking at draymond like you know what? I'm gonna own my words, even if it comes from a burner account. I'm gonna claim that. Right. Even I'm glad. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good that he yeah. he owns yeah. having the burner account. He yeah, exactly. Just, he, could, he he learned that from Draymond after the, the Snapchat. You know. Oh yeah, and Draymond owned it quick. Draymond like, owned oh, it, and then we're like, my bad how, he, how he forgot about the dick pic. Like we're not even talking about it anymore. We don't even hold it against him. Like that no, is a prime we, example we of how we move on. You know, but, from <laughs> if you own it. But you even look look to what KD said recently. He said, "Y'all, I'm not a leader. I'm not. I'm not here to be basketball savior. I'm here to be KD. I'm here to, you know, ch- you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined and, and that I hoop, right? And he's not trying. To, you know, he's he's letting things slip. So it's it's better overall. Like that. That's why I think a lot of people going into the game were saying, oh, there's not that much hostility between the two. But then when the game starts going, people compete, and then you you can throw all these little storylines onto it. But regardless, I'm here for it because it makes basketball better. It makes these guys compete. And if that's what OKC needs to do to get a win, shoot, they need to envision that they're playing against KD and the Warriors every night because they need to. I will say, I mean, there was obviously less uh, hostility than the first time, and the first time was... I mean, um, no snakes made the premises, right? Remember? No. And there were a lot of actually mm. pro-KD signs in the crowd, and a lot of Warriors jerseys, but I think also that's just kids, young kids, <laughs> are huge fans of the Warriors. I, I just, you know, like, it's just a kind of... Um, what's happening with the NBA now. Like you back in the day, you were fans of the teams that you, the, the city you grew up in, because those are the games you saw. I think Absolutely. young kids today, since you know, it's, it, yeah, you can see all the games, Nash, more national televised games, league pass, kids are fans of players. And so um, I just saw a lot of warriors, uh, a lot of warriors gear, you know, uh, during the game, but I, I was, I was bamboozled. Like as as uh, you pointed out, like before the game, and maybe it's because like I, you know, there wasn't Russ wasn't available at shoot the game. There was no, we really didn't get a lot of access to the Thunder pregame. It was really just access to the Warriors, and then just the feeling of it was it con- the narrative was being controlled by the Warriors at that point, and the Warriors were giving off this vibe. It's no over. The page has been turned. No one cares. They've moved on. They got mellow. They got Paul George. Like, we, we won a championship. Russ won the MVP. The, the storyline's dead. You know, like, sure, it's there's going to be, so, like, some people feeling some type of way. But this, this we've all turned over a new leaf. And so then that was basically, like, I was getting ready to do my first report, which usually you have like, you know, the sideline reporter introduces himself to the broadcast or the first report after the timeout. Mm -hmm. And my report was, hey, you know, 
uh, Kevin Durant coming in, really relaxed into this game, you know, signing autographs before the game. He had a group of people um, who came to his hotel last night. He was kissing babies. He was people asking him to retire in OKC. It was basically like, hey, the OKC, you know, is like basically like giving an olive branch a little bit. Maybe not that that to that extent. But as soon as that ball tipped, I hit the producer. I was like, I don't think my report works anymore. <laughs> we we're going we're gonna to need to pass on this because nope. you could, it was soon as that ball tipped. It wasn't, it wasn't leading up to it. You didn't, you know, there was some like smattering of booze pregame. I mean, it was, a, but it wasn't like my ears weren't, you know, bleeding from the booze during the, the during the warmups. Sure. There were booze, but it, I wasn't like th- thrown off by it. It was as soon as Russ hit the court and you saw how emotional he was then that thunder crowd was like, oh, yeah, we don't like this cat. And, um, you know, this is over. This, and, and the energy just kept picking up throughout the game. And, I, like, I got caught a couple times because of my uh, <laughs> where my seats were. But I was obviously watching KD the whole time. And um, his kind of defense to it all was smiling. He just smiled through the whole And, and that aggressive clap. In that aggressive you class. Ain't gonna fight me on this court. Oh, oh no, he did not. Oh no. And his mom was sitting right behind the Warriors bench, and he was talking to her and his family a lot to help. I it, it seemed like to 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 keep them kind of focused, um, because uh, you know he was looking around in the crowd and you know, just just smiling at people. That was his response. So, um, it, I mean, it was uh, Russ. You you could tell Russ took this personally, and that and it ignited that team. So to talk about the the Thunder's issues, uh, I, I mean that was the most complete game they played all year against the Warriors. Who I mean you could say they just didn't have it that day, but it was because the the Thunder's defense was, I mean was fantastic. Paul yeah, George like the Thunder is going to be fine, you guys. Like yeah, everybody, we, no we all you watch that game and you go. Okay, yeah. that's why yeah. we all thought they were going to be good because but it's Russ not what they can do offensively. But it's, Russ it's, has to play that way. Yeah, he's got to play that way, but it's really just at the defensive end. It's really mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, I don't think there's any, nobody's worried about them scoring. Okay, yeah, there's a thing about who's the guy on offense and who no, they Paul go George to and there's no clarity. Points. Yeah, I mean, there's that. But like if they play defensively like that, everything else will fall into place. It, it's just, it, it has to start at that end and they have I complete- to feel that. And yep. it's just when you see though, like Russ, like when he plays like that, like th- that was like when I saw Russ that night, I was like, oh, that's Kobe style. That's yeah. where that's where he saw that Mamba thing, where like you know when 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 Kobe would get a new teammate, new rookie, new whatever, like pretty quick he would go at him in practice in a way that would make you uncomfortable, right? Like very uncomfortable, like aggressive in your face, mean, and I'm not playing. Like this isn't like I'm going to trash talk and laugh about it. I'm not going to smile. Like I'm going to try to destroy you and destroy your children and your children's children. And we're not going to laugh about it afterwards, right? (laughs) And he wanted, he did it for a reason. One, because he was like marking his territory. But two, he wanted to see how you responded. And some people do what KD does, which is like, it's uncomfortable. Like, like, I don't know. Have you ever been in a stare down? Have you ever tried to like stare 
somebody face to face and like I can't do it. Like I start laughing. I don't care how charged. You just I have am. to embrace like, it. You have to right? embrace it. Like you see awkward. like fighters, UFC fighters, like they gotta get into that stare down. Like I can't I couldn't I would like break a smile. Like I couldn't I couldn't and I feel like like Russ knew K D would smile. Like Russ knew Kevin would break. Like he would and it wasn't like a mental break, but like that's not Kevin's that's not Kevin's thing. It's like that head to head, forehead bang, you know, like when they were like getting each other's face like that. That's the only time I saw Kevin where he didn't smile. He didn't back down. I thought that mm-hmm. was like I thought that was really huge. Like huge. You no, know, Kevin's whole thing is to like diffuse it, laugh it off, push it away, Walk no away, big yep. deal. And that time he didn't. And I was like, okay, that's a different thing there. That That is something I have not seen from Kevin Durant before. Because I'm not saying he's soft. Like, that's not the – it's just the way he handles those head-to-head things where, like, he normally would diffuse. He normally would back away. That time he didn't. And Do you think I he think was caught off guard a little bit by how, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, how angry Russ still was? Or is? Yeah. I don't know if it's a caught off guard, but I mean, Kevin has some anger too. Like, oh, they yes. gave his number away. Yeah, no, no, no. That, no. that whole giving his number 35 to the two way play, I mean, that did not sit well and never will. And no. I, there was a moment where, like, you know, I've seen KD get angry, but he's kind of, he's, it's just not his nature. He's not an angry player. Mm. He doesn't play with like that chip on his shoulder. But in that, like, when they gave his number away, when Russ got up in his face, it's, he it's didn't, like, laugh at all. Respect, like, yeah. That was when you saw the – that was when you were like, oh, okay, he – that's a different Kevin. And that's the next growth that I'm going to see from him in his career is, like, that that true anger, competitiveness, like, I'm not backing down. Like You want him to be a heel. You, yeah. want, him to, you want him to own it. And, and he's on the villain. He's on the path, though. Look at what he's doing he this year on the defensive end. I mean, he made his offseason challenge to be really the next-level defender, to be a blocker, to challenge shots at the rim, not just to score. So I, I agree. This type of aggression is not just offensively, but it's defensively, and it's the next evolution of his game. And we always know Russ could have come at somebody's neck, as he said. I love uh, it. <laughs> and you know what's yeah. funny? The, the NBA is funny because, you know, everyone's like, oh, God, they're losing. They're losing. I'm like, yeah, they just need to slide into the playoffs because clearly they are capable, even when they don't have their ish together, to beat the Warriors to have a big night. That's the OKC we want to see. Here's my, here's my one issue with OKC. They, to me, kind of represent that relationship that you get into after your serious relationship where you're trying to figure yourself out before you find the one. I feel like that's the thing, that's what's going on with mm-hmm. Melo and PG. So it's either they're going to stick through it and try to like make this relationship work or, you know, they're going to realize this really isn't for me, but I'm in it because it feels comfortable right now. It's a, it's a good place to be. Um, and that, that, that's to me, like we're saying, don't worry about them because they have the talent, but do, do they have the commitment to this team? Is like, and, and that translates to how they play. As much as you want to say, don't worry about it, they have the talent, they'll figure it out. Like, do they have the heart to be dedicated to this team? At the end of the day, they have to figure out if they want to swipe right or swipe left. You're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Let's wrap up with um, shade. Uh, some of our, our shade investigations. Uh, yo, today, kick us off with um, what happened to our boy Jalen. Oh, snap. Poor Jalen. Y'all know I have like the 
biggest work crush on Jalen Rose just because oh, I love yes. what he's doing no, for no, the no, brand. No. You tell people, <laughs> no, work crush. Okay. It's work crush. No, it's Molly, it's- Molly, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, but it's like work. Like, I love what he's doing, how he's transitioned from the game to broadcasting. He's funny. He's insightful. So I always watch. I listen to the podcast, give the people what they want, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, so I was like, this dude, he never takes L's, but he might have just taken his first little L. Because <laughs> basically what had happened was he was uh Joel and B was getting interviewed by the sideline reporter uh, with Molly Sullivan Molly Sullivan French yeah. yeah and they're like what percent are you at um Embiid like what percent are you at health wise because people are wondering he's like I'm at 69 <laughs> percent and like Jalen basically the next day was was like that's you know distasteful that's not not right it's unprofessional like you can't do that to a female reporter everyone's like you know this guy's a master troll like he just that's what he does he's funny clearly he thought about it you know he just does these things that are a little bit below the belt okay so he goes on the six drone b goes on the six and by the way if you haven't seen that interview it's freaking comedy Um, michael and jamel yeah yeah i was watching it live though and i think it cut out because i think he was saying kicking their ass too much and like disney got worried um, so I didn't see the second half part. So basically, Michael and Jamal said, oh, we heard about, you know, jo- uh, you know, I don't think they mentioned Jalen by name, but they said, oh, you've been criticized for saying 69% to the reporter. Like, what percent are you really at? He's like, pretty much 81% trolling <laughs> Jalen Rose because he was the guy that Kobe scored 81 on. And he did it so subtle. It was the troll of all trolls. He's the real MVP. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually kind of, um, a little bit agree with with, with Jalen. Like I don't, I didn't. That that answer is a little unprofessional. But I can I, can you think something's unprofessional and also love it at the same time? Um, that's kind of sums up. Uh, uh, you have to made. also know the like. You also have to know the relationship between Embiid and Molly. Like Molly yeah, covered good. the oh, team. Oh, she was fine with forever. It. Like yeah. she's she's a tough chick. Like like yeah. I don't think he met. Like if if he said that to a female reporter, he didn't know. Yeah. And if he did it in a like a he wouldn't, it wouldn't his eyebrows. And typically kind of in these situations, you can't be more offended than the person who's supposedly offended. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like she's not offended by it. So, um, yeah. And like, he know, like, like he, like, in other words, I, I'm not saying like, I, I think it was like right on the line, right? Like Joel yeah. was always like right up on the line. I know. Yep. Keeps, Are you going to step over? Getting I don't know. Like, you, like, I don't know knows someone, where it is. I know, but can you that, continue that to bat 1,000? I don't know if he can continue to bat 1,000, but it's so. pretty, pretty strong performance so far. Um, <laughs> but what yeah. About, what about Jordan Bell, y'all? <laughs> I, I mean, love as, that if the Bulls, one. as if the Bulls need any more beatdowns. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? They deserve the every single, every single bit of shade thrown oh, at yeah. them by everyone for this. This is like... And it started with is... Steve Kerr starting Jordan. Oh, yeah. And, and like, like for those of you who don't know, the, I mean, the backstory, like, I don't know how you couldn't know it by now, but, like, the Bulls basically sold him, okay? So they drafted him, and the Bulls, who are clearly tanking, you know, are need every good young player they can get, like just drafted him and sold him for $3.5 million to the defending champion warriors who and he's need players fan. like this. Right. And Jordan is a guy who like a lot of people were surprised he was available when he was available. He had a great college career. He's like a tough Back guy. Home, yep. Jordan is this guy who has this like skill set that could become like a Draymond Green type skill set if yep. he 
develops the way they want him to. He's like tough defensively. He's got a very versatile game. Like he could probably defend one to five. Like you don't give players like that away when you're the Chicago Bulls and you're looking for young diamonds in the rough, right? Like that was the home run pick. And then they not only like traded him away, they traded him to the damn Warriors. So like when you look at the Warriors and go, why are they able to sustain this with the, like with all the guys and their big contract and stuff? It's because of guys like Jordan Bell. It's because they find those dudes. They find yeah. Patrick McCaw and they find Jordan Bell. And like last year they had Ian Clark, right? Yep. Like Kevin Looney. They, you know, they get these young guys in there and they play. And then of course you get the David West and the Omri Caspies and the guys. Even who play. Kent Bazemore back in the day. Yeah, Ish. even Kent Bazemore. Like they find these guys at the end of the first round the same way the Spurs always used to. And it's like the rest of the league needs to look at the Bulls and give them shame, 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 shame of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you did that for three million dollars what are you doing I like, mean, it's just cheap and and like so jordan bell like rubbing that into the bulls like i'm all for it i'm here for it every day i hope they continue to do that you're here for it but i'm actually here for it as uh someone who grew up a bulls fan like i just this just all makes me like everything makes, uh, other than Lori bird right now i'm just sad i did want to say one last thing uh for uh, a big LA game for you, for you, Momo. No hype yeah. around the Lakers and Clippers game, uh, as far as the basketball is concerned. But Jordan Clarkson um, wore to shoot around or media availability uh, a yo boyfriend can't check me, and um, <laughs> he used to date uh, the one and only Kendall Jenner, who is now dating Blake Griffin. So Not Kendall though, she keeps her ish on lock though. She's not in them streets though. I mean, she's. <laughs> she, 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 she's if I um, had a Jenner or a Kardashian, I'd be her. You can right. People say she's the most normal of the group, even though she's a supermodel. But um, you know, do you, Kendall? Do you? Uh, so if you you know are flipping the channels and you're like, why should I watch this Lakers Clippers game tonight? Just keep your eye on Jordan Clarkson, Blake Griffin. See how that, she hoop. See how that goes. She better hoop, and I hope she's sitting courtside, okay? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. All right, y'all. We done. Appreciate you guys.